0: All right, hello, and welcome back to this week's edition of the Army Talk Fast Five. Believe it or not, it is now December. It is December 6th, 2019.
1: How? How is this possible? This year is flying by. S- Emma's excited, too, I'm sure, because I think you're done with, almost done with finals,
0: right? Yep. Ugh. Yeah, with Friday, you're done with finals? Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. I can't believe that. That's what do my math. 19 days until Christmas? That's all we have left. Thanksgiving was last week. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's crazy. That I mean, that's been talked about, I feel like, so much among retailers and starting at Black Friday and like we're crunching this time. We're trying to do Black Friday sales early so that we can still get all the shopping time. And at first I was kind of like, that's a bunch of baloney. And now I'm I'm feeling it. Yeah, feeling the stress.
0: You're feeling condensed.
1: Yeah, like some Campbell's soup.
0: <laughs> That's right. That's a good one. Ooh, I like that. I wasn't expecting that. Oh, my God. oh man! Now, if you're watching us at at home on your phone, hopefully not while you're driving. What you'll see is we've got a different setup here. We've got three of us today. We've got the camera just hitting all three of us at the same time because Carter is actually out uh, again, quote unquote, on assignment. He's out doing some work this week, uh, so he's not with us. But hopefully, he's going to try and stop by one of the new installation that is one of our key headlines for this week. Oh yeah, slight tease. And we'll get to that soon. But Carter, we miss you as always. Stay well, travel well, be safe. So you've got me, Emma, the intern, and Anne, of course, here holding down the fort. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Should I do our sponsor? Absolutely. Thanks, Anne. Always love the reminder. Our sponsor is, of course, Trigo. Trigo helps grocers unlock the true beauty of brick-and-mortar retailing by designing a magical checkout-free experience using computer vision and AI. Together with Tesco... Trigo is now building the largest checkout free store ever built. And I got to tell you guys, so one of the reasons everything's, everything seems so fast, and as we've talked about before, Ann and I were in Tel Aviv last week. Next week, if all goes as planned, we will drop both a video and a podcast interview with Daniel Gabay, the CTO and co-founder of Trigo. And it's a super cool podcast and interview. All it is is about the history of computer vision, where it's been, how it's got to where it is now, and then still where it can go in the future. And I got to tell you from the interview, I've probably dropped like three or four things already in conversation based on what I learned. Like another tease, like why are we seeing so much experimentation in autonomous cars relative right. to retail? Right. when That's like a life or death situation and you have to be perfect for that to work.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And they Trigo is also named one of the top 10 startups out of Israel this week. Did That's you right. see that? I
0: did. I forgot. Yeah. Great mention. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. So that uh, Trigo, uh, I think, yeah, there's just a lot of great companies, a lot of great things happening over there. Um, so yeah, keep an eye out for that. If you haven't subscribed to our right. podcast or our videos already, you should do it because it's definitely one you're going to want to see. This is a hot company, like Anne said, top 10. Over in Israel, it's got one of the actual pilots going on right now in the checkout-free space, and you're going to want to give it a listen. We learned a hell of a lot. All right, Emma, the intern, you want to start us off?
2: I do. All right. So according to a Retail Dive article, Returnly announces instant exchanges for Shopify Plus. This program allows gift recipients to select an alternative gift before returning their original gift according to a company press release. This levels the field for digital native brands who are traditionally at a disadvantage with big retailers that can re-engage customers during the holidays in physical locations the release noted. So...
1: I love this. I think it's I'm super definite. cool. Why Have do you, you love it? Do you guys, I'm, I'm just going to break down for the listeners and viewers kind of exactly
0: how this works. Yeah, both of these things are not things that people typically know a lot about.
1: Yes, and the more you know, the cooler you're going to think this is. So Returnly is working with a lot of direct-to-consumer brands. For example, Outdoor Voices. Mm-hmm. So say your really cool hip aunt or cousin, Anne, gets you something from Outdoor Voices, like my millennial nieces nephews or cousins gets you like these sweet pants from Outdoor Voices and you get them and you're like what the hell are these things I've never heard of this company I don't even know if it's cool or if my friends are going to make fun of me But damn
0: my aunt is sweet
1: but my aunt is either really sweet or super dorky and I don't know if this is going to be cool and I'm going to get laughed out of school so what you can do is now go to outdoorvoices.com Find, um, you know, you enter in your email address and your the number that's printed on the order that you get in the mail. And immediately you can get an instant refund code and that can either be applied to another product on the site or um, you can wait and get a gift card if there's not something currently on the site that you want. But what is brilliant about this is that it takes that like random gift from your aunt at Christmas time and where you had to go into the physical like white barn candle company store to return that item that they got you that you don't care for, um, now you can do that in a digital sense. So it's really one of the first companies who's taking the returns process into an omnichannel world. And not only that, but they're getting exposure for these brands who haven't had it before and immediate money. So I think that um, the big difference there is that instead of waiting for processing time or something to get you know, put back on the shelf. And then three to seven days later, reapplied to your credit card or to a gift card. Now you're having the same experience you would have if you went into a physical store online, you get that product. There's no way in around. It's brilliant.
0: Yeah. I think this thing is, I think this thing's awesome. Like I thought this was one of the cooler, we, we put this in the top talk earlier in the week. It was one of the cooler discussions we had around the top talk. Like we first, brought, it like caught my eye and we like talked about, it. I was like, Hey, what do you guys think of this? And initially we were kind of like, Oh, uh, uh, and then we read about it. And we we're like, Holy crap. This is really cool. This actually solves a real problem both for consumers and brands. Like your aunt example, as corny as it is, and a little self-serving as it is, oh yeah, is real. Like you get all these gifts, and nowadays, like you're getting gifts if you're especially if you're cool. Yeah. If you're a cool aunt or uncle, you're getting gifts from things that don't have stores. Right. So how the hell do you return those? So I bet a lot of times from a customer perspective, it's just like, ah, forget it. I got a gift. I'm not gonna do anything with it. Thanks, you know aunt Anne. My aunt, my aunt's name is Anne too, by the way. A lot of they, aunts are named Anne. Yeah. Shout, shout out to her because she listens. Um, but you know, you're just going to leave it there. And then the other thing about these brands is these brands really want to get these people into their stable, Yes, right? And so like if it doesn't fit or they don't like it, but this is a great way for them to get that customer who isn't the one that primarily engaged with them back into their experience. And that's that's awesome. It's probably worth any risk or any financial risks associated with trying to make a program like this work. Now, who knows if the business model economics work, but from a customer perspective and a retailer perspective in terms of what you want to accomplish, yeah, man, I'm all over this. I think this is amazing.
1: Yeah, Emma, you really like this story because as you mentioned, like being a college student trying to like watch every penny, what does this unlock for you?
2: I love the immediate money aspect because usually when I need to make a return, I have to wait for that money to show up back in my bank account, which takes like a week. And then usually what happens to me is that the items that I want to buy instead sell out. And so after I have to wait a week for the money to show up back in my account, then the item sells out and I don't end up making another purchase. But with money coming directly back to me really fast, I can make that purchase and then interact with the brand even further.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point too as we start to think about um, how spending is going to change. And we st- start to talk about wants and needs and what uh, people are ending up spending their money on. It's a lot easier to turn around and save that sale if I have instant money to do that, yeah. both either digitally or in a physical store. So I think that that's uh, yeah. going to gonna have a huge ripple effect on of
0: you Think of you if you made this work in concert with something like what Sezzle does or an Afterpay, like something like that. That's huge. Yeah, I think oh, yeah. if Carter was here, I would look him right in the eye and say, Carter, is this millennial friendly? And I think we'd all say yes. All right. Story number two, Casper is adding significantly to their leadership team. So cool stories this week. Casper has actually added Emily Arell and Ben Clark to their leadership team. Now, normally, you know, I'd be like, okay, they made some changes, but I think these are some pretty, pretty good moves. When you look at the resume of who both of these people are first, let's start with Emily. So Emily was formerly the CEO of Quidzy, if you remember that. That was formerly Diapers. and then prior to that, she held multiple leader, leadership positions at Gap. She also at one time in her career was at Target. And the reason I bring that up is because when I joined Target back in two thousand five, and then went through my career there, I can remember talking of p- people talking. Excuse me about Emily Orell and just really? yeah, and how much esteem they had for her years after she left. And so whenever I wow. hear that, or you know see that. I think that's an important anecdote to share because it means people have a lot of respect for you, the types of things you've done. And you look at a resume, it seems that that's the case as well. So shout out there. And I thought that little anecdote would prove useful uh, to people listening. Then also Ben Clark. Ben Clark is now the new chief technology officer for Casper. And he comes from Wayfair, where he was recently the chief architect. So what does somebody from Wayfair likely know how to do? Well, chances are they're pretty damn left-brained, pretty damn quantitative, and they probably pretty much know how to run the engineering and the technology required for an e-commerce business as well as a heavy business on the logistics side of things, which moving mattresses throughout the country certainly is. So if anything, I don't know that we have a lot to add here, but if anything, I think this just shows you that Casper fortifying what they've got going on
1: yeah, I, the more that I read into the backgrounds of Ben and Emily, the more impressed I was and how and I think uh, the more that I felt like this story deserves a spot in the weekly fast five. I think you're right on Chris. Ben's resume is really impressive, um not only in building the technology platform to support Casper kind of in whatever future endeavors they have, but the teams to support it. He's built up, you know he was at uh, Wayfair for eight years. He built up all the teams that help do things and perfect things like search on the site, customer recommendations. So it's really smart hire in my opinion. And Emily, you know, actually, I'm going to pay you a compliment, Chris. Which oh, Which really? I do often do. Wow. Forever.
0: Hold on. Am I sitting down? I am. Thank God.
1: You are. Okay. I mean, you and Emily both did work at The Gap and at Target. But what I found fascinating about her background after reading about it, and you know, as I have come to know you through working with you for the last five years, and when we started working together on Target Store of the Future, her background actually reminded me a lot of yours. And I think she's impressive the same way that I think your background is impressive, because you've done a lot of things. So if you look at Emily's background, the more I read, the more impressed I was. She's been in merchandising, in marketing. She's been VP of stores for Old Navy. So she's actually worked in the stores and has experience and knows how these things are running and operating. She has one of the most well-rounded backgrounds um, and all facets of retail. And I think if you're Casper and you're going to go big and you're going to start to figure out, you know, how do we take this from our own 50 stores and our placements in places like Target and how do we blow this up and really make this the next new thing in retail and in in the mattress industry, this is the right team to have. You have somebody who knows the ins and outs of the retail industry um, from merchandising to marketing to supply chain and who can take that generalist skill set and merge it with people like Ben's technology experience. I think this is setting Casper up for a great, great future.
0: Yeah. And it's th- First of all, thank you for that. That was very, very nice. I'm going to
1: knock you in the next day. Nice. So I'll, don't get, don't get too Yeah, excited. I'm sure you
0: will. And, and I'll probably be, it'll probably be, you know, the next decade when I hear something like that again, but <laughs> maybe but I appreciate that again. And you know, I think the world of you too. And I, I, I think it's an interesting juxtaposition too, because you're right. Even as you were saying, that, I was like, yes, what you have here is someone that gets e-commerce and also has significant bricks and mortar experience. Juxtapose that with the announcement that came out as well today, right before we started taping this, which is how Lawton resigned today from eBay. Oh God, yeah. What's his background? It's all e-commerce, right? For the most part. And he's going to Tractor Supply Company or something like that. Like something weird. which Hal Lawton
1: resigned from from Macy's, Macy's what did I say? EBay. Oh,
0: sorry. Yeah. Not from eBay. Well, he did do that too, but that <laughs> yeah. was two years ago. Right. But like, you know, his background is, you know, significantly eBay, and then he comes to Macy's to try to head up the Amish, you know, seemingly it's not working, leaves in the holidays. That, seemingly. That can't work. Uh, that can't be good. And you know, I think it validates a lot of the things that we've been saying, but, and so again, I just say to retail leaders out there, there are people out there that have this dual set of experiences. Look for them. They're the ones to take you forward Yes. and you need people that have those multiple perspectives. All right. This next one is super fun and really hard to say, Anne. So if, if you don't mind, please enunciate the consonants <laughs> oh on God. this next story. This is
1: so dorky. Okay, not the story though. I love the story and I'm super passionate about it. So, Kroger announces a partnership with Cluster Truck to begin on demand li- delivery of meals made at dark kitchens. Um, this was according to an article from Supermarket News. Uh, they talk about this new concept called Kroger Delivery Kitchen. The service allows people to order online from a wide variety of menus um, of freshly prepared meals and have them dire- directly delivered, man, that was hard to say. Alliteration
0: is tough. It always is.
1: (laughs) To their home or office within a half hour, the meals are made in these central scratch, ghost, dark kitchens, whatever you want to call them. And customers aren't charged delivery or service fees. So one, I think, quick point of clarification. This is not being shipped from the Kroger store. However, as I have talked about, um, I I talked to Jeff Wells in Grocery Dive about this very topic, but for me, um, food and these ghost kitchens are the next big thing. And grocery retailers who are looking into this as a potential part of their operation are going to be this most successful. Yeah, and,
0: wh- and why is that? Because, like, to give you a little bit of kudos, you're kind of be- after that ge- after that ge- that article in Grocery Dive. You're kind of becoming a little bit of a dark kitchen expert. Oh, I'm very dark, <laughs> and I love the kitchen. So, so why like why are these things so cool? Why is this so important?
1: Um, this almost turned into one of those like SNL NPR skits, like (laughs) chocolate, salty, sweaty. Let's not do this. Otherwise this
0: will become the other word of cluster truck as a podcast.
1: Okay. Um, so let me just basically break down dark kitchens for people too. So we're seeing a lot of this trend happening. Um, DoorDash out in California is doing a similar concept, but basically it's one big warehouse, call it a commissary, dark ghost kitchen, many names, same concept. It basically lets um, independent delivery-only restaurants all operate out of one space, share costs, share equipment in some certain cases. But you, in most of these kitchens and in the, in the cluster truck kitchen, have five uh, restaurants all operating out of the same kitchen. They each have their own space. They each can work with the operator to you know, specialize certain equipment. So if you're a tortilla maker and you need those that kind of equipment, you can do that, whatever. But the brilliance here is that these dark kitchens don't have to be in high rent retail or food traffic areas. They can be a warehouse that's closely located toward uh, most of their delivery uh, radius, and so they can. They, all they do is they get orders prepped and ready. They go on a shelf, and then delivery orders from you know DoorDash in some cases, or Uber Eats, or whatever it might be, come to these places just pick up the order and then are out and deliver it. And there are all sorts of other economics um, behind the restaurant industry that make this more appealing from um, lower labor costs to more efficient kitchen, um, better use of food. And I think when you start to think about this, in combination with the commissary kitchens that a lot of groceries already have to, to satisfy this growing need of grab and go delivery meal service. And you bring in a big name for Kroger in this case, like cluster trucks to fulfill that you are just setting yourself up to, to deliver on 100% of your customer's needs, getting real time prepped meals and groceries delivered in the same order. I know that that's on the roadmap for Kroger at their <coughs> Cincinnati store, um, and I I think this is going to mean really big things for for the grocery industry and food delivery. Yeah, hundred percent. I think which is thirteen billion dollars by the way, just the food delivery that, industry.
0: Jeez, really? That's crazy. Yeah. and 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 growing pretty fast. But I mean, I think it points to like we we singled it out last year as part of our trends for 2019, which is the whole concept of of micro fulfillment and micro. That's micro fulfillment for retail. It's micro fulfillment for food. It doesn't matter what it's about is localizing your capabilities to deliver product in a much more convenient and faster way than ever before possible. And so that's the impacting backroom operations of retailers. It's affecting the architectural structures of how restaurants are built, whether it's in the stores, in the restaurants themselves, or in these dark kitchens, as you say, and same with retailers too. Now there's efficiencies probably to be gained from setting up those operations where you can do things out of both sides of it, which is why we focus on companies like a takeoff to such a degree, because Mm -hmm. we think they're onto something here. And you can see this trend is really starting to happen and really starting to pop. So as corny as hard and as hard as it is to say cluster truck, let's say it one more time, it's a big story because it shows again that it's happening. And it's a trend, again, kudos to you, that you've been on for some time. All right. Story number four. Canada Goose has opened a new store and in this store, while it snows and even has fake ice, there is no inventory. Yes. Canada Goose just this week opened up a store where basically you come in, you try things on, but you don't take anything home with you. Very similar to how a Bonobos works, excuse me, you order everything through an e-commerce portal and it's delivered to your house. I think this is awesome. I'm I'm starting to jump on the Canada Goose bandwagon. Yeah, I think you could call me. We need a,
1: like a goose sound, like ah,
0: how's, ah it, how's it go?
1: That was a terrible noise. Yeah, people. Was. It was like I'm, a dying I,
0: dinosaur, <laughs> like a dying pterodactyl, a dying goose. You could call me a geese. I don't know what fans of Canada Goose are, but I'm a, definitely a Canadian geese in that respect. Shout out to Carl. I know you're listening. Um, but I think this is cool. Like I got to tell the story again because like last week we were in Mall of America for Black Friday and they have the cold room. And seeing videos of what's going on in the store too. They've got similar type setup. And we were, you know, we walk into the mall from frigid cold temperatures in Minneapolis. It's cold as hell. I go into the store. I think it's going to be kitschy. I put on this coat that's super comfortable. And I walk in and it's amazing. And all I need is the try on experience. I don't necessarily need that coat that day, if, especially if you're not living in Minneapolis. Maybe in Minneapolis I do, but I'll still wait for it, like, because I got there on my own. And, you know, it's probably a real realistically, even if it's expensive, like you start to go, if it's really good quality, it's going to last me for five or six years. Holy crap. That's experiential retailing. That's a big selling point. And this might actually be something I consider investing in because God, man, in Minnesota, there is nothing more important than being warm. When you walk out to your car in the morning, I'm driving my mom's minivan right now. Long story. So cool. It is so freaking cold in that thing. Like I am dying. Like it takes like 20 minutes for that thing to heat up. And this makes me want to go out and get something like this because it's just a cool experience. So these guys are really trying some radically new and radically different things using technology, but still celebrating the experience of why you go to a physical place to shop.
1: I agree with you.
0: You do, but there's a but coming. But
1: one, kudos to Canada Goose. You guys are doing some amazing
0: stuff. Yeah, I got to get up to Toronto and see this actually.
1: Testing, learning, experimenting. I, I think this is a great next move. You're going into. I really want to hear Emma's perspective because I think that uh, go, it's really going after the Gen Z and Millennial audience who may aspire to own a thousand-dollar Canada Goose jacket. Um, even us aspiring to yeah, own That's a thousand—that's a huge investment. I do now. Yeah, I think the best part of the experience, and and what I've found from our own experience at Mall of America, is getting people to put those coats on and actually experience it, because otherwise, you're hard pressed to spend that thousand dollars. But once, like you said, we got in the oh, cold yeah. room with that jacket on. That is, they're using information that they've learned from having that cold room in stores and seeing the conversion. I'm sure from people actually trying it and seeing the value in having that coat and exactly what it can provide. So, trying,
0: what's an example for of you for that? Like of another thing where that's happened to you, where like once you put it on, it's like I was trying to think of like. A fine cashmere sweater, or something like that. Or, I would like, say, I was trying to think. Beauty of something is probably
1: I, the closest beauty. analog I can think of. Like trying on a lipstick that's of a really high grade, or a foundation, or something. I think that's where Sephora and their testing in stores, different. like you see it right away, and you feel like, oh my god, my face feels so much better from that foundation or that skin product, like I'm going to spend $40 on a lotion when I wouldn't ordinarily do it or even when they do their sampling. Mm -hmm. So this is getting sampling, getting the coats on people's backs and really experiencing it is smart. Now my rub with this is exactly pointing to what you said. The store is in Toronto. It's a cold weather environment. It's not a place where if I'm investing a thousand dollars in a jacket, I want to wait to get that coat. I need it. I in most cases, unless it's the summertime. But you look at like Mall of America and how their sales are are doing, you know, brilliantly because we long. had a cold. You wouldn't,
0: you wouldn't wait. To... Ah, no, I totally
1: well, just let me finish though, right, yeah, because I think that they, you know, they did say that it's in a mall in Toronto. So there are other places within the mall that you can get the coat. So if you like the coat, you could take it home that day. My one thing for a watch out, I guess, for Canada Goose is how closely are you aligned with what these sales inventory or what the inventory is in the rest of the mall, because I think it could be a miss you don't have to have the product on the floor, but I think it could be a miss if I can't get that coat in the time that I want it, especially when i 'm going to drop a thousand dollars on a coat. I think you need to have both options available um, or delivery like within a day, especially if you're in a tourist market.
0: Yeah, that's, I think that's actually, actually I think that's a fair point. I think, I think you're right. Like, I think you got to watch this. Like you, the Bonobos model is cool. It's kitschy, but like, it's not great for the reasons you're talking about. And so like, and it's
1: not a piece of outerwear. I think outerwear is different. This is a need. This is not a, yeah, if you really need it.
0: Yeah. If you really need it, yeah, that's true. If you really need a coat, but I think, so, yes, yeah, so it's your point. You got to watch that and what's the balance. And, I think I'll give some more anecdotes. I'm going to go back way back here. This is like 2000, like back in the early days of e-commerce. I can remember the gap with Denim trying to be really smart about how do you use e-commerce to save the sale? Like you can see everything, but if we don't have your size, we're going to do whatever we can to get it to you. And we're also going to go the extra mile and maybe even give you a discount because we didn't live up to your expectations that day. So I think to your point, Anne, if Canada Goose is listening, how do you find the balance of what do you carry? What do you not carry? And then make it feel for the consumer that if they've actually spent the time to go in there and they want something, and if they really want it that day, but for some reason you can't get it to them, how do you still make them feel really special in that situation? That's an untapped goldmine for a lot of retailers that they still aren't doing, which has actually existed in principle for like 20, 25 years. So I don't know. Emma, what do you think on this whole thing? Emma, the intern?
2: I think it's really cool. And I'm, last night, I was actually trying to see if I could figure out a time during winter break to go drive up to Toronto just to see the Wow, trend. really? But... I have actually avoided trying on a Canada goose coat. I didn't know what that was until I came to Minnesota, but I've avoided it because I know that knowing myself, I will try that on and be like, I can afford this. That'll max out my college um, budget credit card. But like I will want to buy it. So anyone listening, if you have a size medium black expedition parka <laughs> that you want to oh donate, like <laughs> I will resale? have Canada it. Goose. We will <laughs> wear the parkas <laughs> and do our show from outside. No, yeah, no, throughout
0: the winter. I'm that way too. I'm Jonesing for it, but man, it's just still it's just not in my price range at this point. But okay, should we close it up? This is this is probably the biggest story of the week. We left it deliberately for Ann. So Ann, take it away.
1: Well, it can only be one of a few topics, and that would be Glossier, obviously. Uh, So Glossier announced this week that they're moving into Nordstrom with many shops for their perfume, which has a cult-like following. Glossier is Glossier. Is opening temporary shops within seven Nordstrom stores, including the new Nordstrom flagship location in New York from December 3rd through February 16th. So it will only be selling its Glossier U fragrance, which launched in October of 2017. Um, and that is one of the highest rated products on Glossier.com. Now, I'm not going to say I told you so, but
0: I told you. You, you kind of so. did. Yeah.
1: There is. Glossier has a tremendous brand. They have built up a tremendous following. But I hate to break it to you. You got to eventually go into more locations. And that's either you as a company going into more locations throughout the country or uh, partnering with smart people who can represent your brand, which I think Glossier did in this uh, move with Nordstrom. Nordstrom is the perfect partner. They are high-end enough where in in the rest of the surrounding beauty and cosmetics category, they have brands like Armani and Charlotte Tilbury in their store. So Glossier will be in good company with those elevated brands. But it's also approachable, I think, to Glossier's main demographic, the Gen Z, the millennial audience, However, I'm a little shocked. I mean, I know that this is just a test for Glossier. I think it will prove useful for them. They're just dipping their toe into going... Into a larger department store. I'm a little surprised that they didn't do more, especially around the holiday. And I think there's a there's there's a little bit of a miss on my part um, to expose more people to the full breadth of, of Glossier products in a physical Nordstrom store. Um, I understand that for them and for Emily, it was about, you know, perfume being an experience that you want to have in person. But, um, I think that Glossier, if I was, if I was Glossier, I think I would have, uh, launched at least a few more products so that people can understand, you know, if I'm not in the market for a fragrance this holiday, what other cute, giftable, adorable Glossier products Mm. can I give my nieces, nephews, and cousins?
0: Yeah. I think you're, you're honest from there. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised. They're probably a little scared of this move, you know, at the end of the day, like it's a, it's a fairly big departure from what they've done before and how much control they've had over everything. Um, and so, yeah, they're dipping their toe into it. Right. It's not to say it's bad, but you know, with any new thing comes some trepidation in a lot of ways. Um, and so, you know, I can see, you know, I can see why they've done that. And to your point, maybe they could have gone a little bit bigger, made it those ormen a little bit wider. The question I have for you though, that I think is, I think is interesting in terms of, you know, how we reacted to this when we first saw this this week, I don't remember when it was, but probably a month, two months ago, three months ago. I distinctly remember you saying that if Glossier goes from building their own stores to taking their brand into department stores, Mm -hmm. similar to how you see other cosmetics brands in department stores, that that actually is a death sentence, could be a death sentence and could take away the coolness factor of Glossier. Do you feel that's at risk here? or Or is this the right partner for what they eventually need to do, which is given to your point, you still got to extend your distribution at some point in time and get your product in the hands of more people.
1: I think it's a death sentence if you go into the counters at Macy's. Uh, I don't think that it's a death sentence if you carefully select and curate the right partners, which is why, again, I think Nordstrom was the right place to go. Nordstrom, and I think that we'll start to see Glossier test their concept and maybe some of these other alternative department store concepts where it's still there's still some cachet to the brand. Yeah um, and, and finding those right partners. So I don't think it's a death sentence. I think
0: it's almost like taking the Nike approach to distribution. Like how do you just keep it really as cashier cashier as possible across the different tiers of where things are located. And I
1: think the reality is, and we've talked about this a lot in, in the last week alone is just that these, in order to reach scale, these companies are going to have to find the right ways to get their products spread across the country. And for a lot of them, Opening their own stores might not be a possibility, and especially when you start to look at all the complications with hiring and finding the right people to maintain your brand throughout all these stores. When you can work with a reliable partner who's been doing this best, who are known for their service, like Nordstrom is, I think it it makes sense. And um, and we're seeing this happen a lot. Like look at Kylie, Cody, and that partnership that just or and that uh, sorry investment that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Like these direct to consumer brands are being built. And they're, you know, they're doing their thing direct to consumer online, but in order for them to scale, they're going to start to go mass market. And this is another example of that. Um, and I just, I, I think that, yeah, not athletes- even WASP
0: not, excuse me, not even mass market, but like wider in distribution, right? right? I think that's a $64,000 question here. And I think that's what we're grappling with. And we talked about this in a little bit in the podcast with the CEO of beta, but e- Can e-commerce scale if you're only servicing everyone that lives on the coasts of America? I don't think we know the answer to that yet. I am skeptical of that Mm -hmm. because no e-commerce business has just scaled on its own or very few have. You can count on one hand the number that have done that in the last 20 to 25 years. So I think, and to your point, right? Like you need a bigger reach at some point. Now, how much bigger of a reach do you need? Totally agree. That's, I, I have no idea. That's where I actually agree with Vibu, the CEO of Beta. like. I don't know the answer to that yet, but I am highly skeptical that it can only be done through like certain pockets of the country.
1: Well, I'm curious. I'm really surprised that you aren't more um, up in arms about the amount of product that's in the store, knowing your background. Like for you, when you and I usually oh, sure. have the this conversation, you yeah. you're like, they need more merchandise in here. There should mm-hmm. be more to choose from. Emma, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Like if you, you're a huge Glossier advocate as am I, but like, do you think that the perfume is enough to get you in the store? Would you have liked to see more product?
2: I I agree with that. But also like if they had chosen to come into the Nordstrom at Mall of America, my roommate and I, who we went to the New York store together and that was our biggest priority in New York last winter was to go to the Glossier <laughs> store. We would go in a heartbeat if Nordstrom Mall of America had it. We'd both take pictures, post it everywhere and buy that perfume on the spot. So I think that for like big Glossier fans, they'll go out there and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Would it be nice if they had more products? Yes. Cause then I would spend more and buy more
0: products. Right. Right. But right. you'd probably still introduce your friends who don't know it that you'd say, Hey, come along. We're going to go check this thing out here. Here's why I think here's why I'm not super concerned with the fact that it's limited because you're right. I generally think selection is always an important thing. I'm also a big fan of piecemeal experimentation. And yes. I think this is a big move. And so you can always grow it from here. What always gets hard is if you try to throw the kitchen sink into everything and you try to make it perfect, then you don't know why something didn't work, right? Was it because they didn't like this product, but they like this other stuff? Was it because of the operations of the store, did we choose the wrong partner? I think the key thing here, because the brand is so important is how do you make sure you got the right partner in the simplest enough way? They're playing up fragrances, which is very sensory relative to everything else. So there is really the reason, mm. Hey, why do you come from what i would gather. Yes. I think they all are sensory to some degree, but when you really get into smell, like that is one of the most innate senses you can think of. And so I think it's just, it's a smart way to toe in. And if it works, add some more, try, keep trying it, you know, or expand the stores, keep it simple. You got a long. That's the thing too. You got a long time. If you do things well to build a brand. You don't need to make all the moves right right away. Yeah. So this one, the fact that it's small in, in scope in terms of the product range, that doesn't really bother me. You're Man, still shaking your I head I still
1: disagree. Me. I think that I would have put the top 10 Glossier products in, even if you just had trial, even if you don't sell them there. I mean, it's the Canada goose example, like get that product on people and get them trying it so that they see why Glossier has developed the reputation it has. And if, Like I just worry people are going to miss out on experiencing Glossier who aren't the big fans because they're not in the fragrance market. The other piece fragrance is very personal.
0: Yeah. The other piece of this we don't know though is are they operationally ready for it? You know, like what, what do seven Nordstrom stores mean from a product? I don't know. Like it doesn't seem like a lot, but there's a lot of production and supply chain things that have to get figured out depending on how wide you make that. So, you know, I think you're, yeah, why not? I mean, have, I get you. Why not have the boy brow there so yes. everyone can see it and understand it? The when bubble Emma, rock, the, the intern, yeah. takes all her friends yes. to Glossier on a pilgrimage. You're going to train the
1: staff. My last point you're going to okay. train the staff. It costs you a minimal amount to just have some sample trial product there. You can still fulfill from your New York or LA offices or whatever you want to do. All, and you're already training the staff on the one perfume product, it's not that difficult to train staff across even five products so that you can highlight the full assortment and really go out there. Yeah. So,
0: Well, hopefully Carter, Carter, if he has time, is going to try to stop by the new store and we'll get a report out when we talk to him next. I don't, Did you know from the, the articles, my last question on this, are the pink coveralls in play on this or like how does that work?
2: I didn't see that. Did you, Emma? No, but that would be really cool. Carter,
0: they, if you're listening, I want to know. They
1: did say that. Emily was involved in training all of the employees to speak and to give the uh, the customers the same experience as they would have in a Glossier store. So, again, if you're going to invest in that, you should put some more product out there. Yeah,
0: which is good, but also you have you have the ability to do that at seven stores. When you get bigger, you don't necessarily. But, yeah, interesting. Okay. I'm curious to know because those things are awesome. I love that. I would love to see that in the North I think we'll get cool. you some
1: pink overalls. Yeah, I'll wear coveralls. them on the show. All oh right, or pink coveralls, Canada Goose jacket. We're gonna be decked out. Uh, Lululemon from last week. We're just we're just throwing ourselves. Out
0: there. Absolutely, and cool products from my aunt Anne. Shout out again. Yeah. All right, that closes us up. Thank God. <laughs> uh, it was a fun one this week, though. We had a blast. I think there are a lot of good jokes coming through this one. A couple of housekeeping notes. If you haven't seen it yet, but Anne has been doing awesome work, uh, basically for the cause of women in retail. It's the simplest way I can put it. And in partnership with the Network of Executive Women, Anne is now taking her Women's Retail Collective podcast nationally. So we've opened up distribution on that. It's not just for third house members anymore. It is now open to everyone. And most importantly, it's open to our Omni Talk listeners and subscribers. So be sure to check that out. This week, we, re- we dropped uh, her interview with Kelly Caruso, the CEO of Shipt. Uh In a couple of weeks, we'll also be dropping her podcast with Karen Stuckey, yeah. the SVP of Walmart, Private Brands. Great interview. I've listened to them both. Love them each. Highly, highly encourage you to check that out. And then also this week, I'm super proud of this one. It was a blast. We got to interview Vibu Norby, the CEO, I alluded to this before, the CEO of Beta. It was a frank conversation, very candid. I got to tell you, I asked him some really pointed questions. And in all honesty, I got to tell you, after doing the interview, I have even more open questions about the long-term viability of Beta's business model and their tech. But kudos to Vibu for coming on the program and being unafraid to have those conversations, to have that debate and really to go one-on-one and talk about the issues that we think matter in terms of how retail is going to play out in the future. You want to check that out. It's live as of Thursday and ready for your listening pleasure. Finally, of course, as always, like, review, and subscribe to our podcast. If you haven't done that, please do it now. Leave us a review. It means a whole hell of a lot to us. And as I always say, every difference makes a difference. So for Ann, for Emma, the intern, and for me, be careful out there.